Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to the unique and amazing Dominique Zenden. Did you know you put out a unique aura around you? Since he was a child, Dominique's had the gift of seeing others' auras, as well as what we call paranormal gifts. You get to hear right now how your aura affects others and how you are seen and felt. He's the author of seven books, is a radio, television, and podcast host, and just so much more. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Dominique. Hello, Lauren. Nice to be here. Yeah, I've been so looking forward to this. So you've had this gift since you were a child. I imagine it's just like anything else, uh, having hair, having ears. So it's just a natural part of you. Did you think everyone could do this? Absolutely. And did your parents have the gift too? Or did they say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. I mean, like how, what happened? What was the dynamic in your family? Yeah, quite a long story really, but it's natural. It is something that you know, and you do believe that everyone can do it because you've got no reference point. At four or five years old, you just believe that the world is as you see it, not how other people see it. So you just see it from that perspective. My parents were a little shocked, shall we say, to say the least. And I was whisked away to the men in white coats pretty pretty quick and taken for eye examinations and for mental testing. And there was you know, lots of um, to and fro with that for a few weeks. And they came back and said, there's nothing wrong with your son. The only thing that we can tell you is above intelligent IQ. So it was it was quite a nice thing because at the age of five and a half, I was already above intelligent. I had an IQ that was higher than the average and it sort of put them to rest. But it taught me one very important lesson, not to talk about what I was seeing, because as soon as I talk about it, of course, there's consequences. So it took me a lot of years to start to bring it out into the open and to discuss it with people and use it for people's benefits. So what allowed you to finally start discussing, I mean, I guess your gifts, because most people will have to nurture to get back to that their gifts. Yeah, not at all. Um, I used to see everything in colours. My grandmother used to be the green lady because she smoked. Yeah, I mean, my teachers were the the black and red ladies because their voices speared. You know, I saw sounding colour as well. Everything vibrates. And so it was just a world of colour for me. And it was just something that was very natural for me to live in. It gave me the edge as well because I could see if somebody was mad, somebody was happy, somebody was sad. Yeah, it gave me that sort of emotional connection. And because I'm very sensitive as a child, and I'm still sensitive now as an adult, it was easy to use it alongside the sensitivity to pick up people's emotions. Because you could get out of there if they were angry, or you could embrace them if they were sad so it gave you a real good head start to know how to react to situations and i think that's where the advantage came in plus as i went through my military career and then the service in the prison service working with inmates i was using my skills but using them in a different way just to be able to work out my total situation and the current circumstance that i was in and then after that, it became very natural because I then went on to become, you know, somebody that worked in places like Ghost House UK, which is a huge, great, big Victorian manor house that was really haunted. And I could go in there and 
take groups of people around. And then I got invited on to do TV. And it became very easy then to talk about it and discuss it. And of course, being able to help people is very natural. I think that if you're sensitive, you want to help, don't you? And if you've got an ability, then your ability takes over and that becomes a part of the helping mechanism that you develop. Yeah. And would imagine the people that you're supposed to help are going to gravitate to you and other healers are probably, I don't know, they're going to rise to you when you're ready to start using those abilities. Yeah, I think it's understanding the abilities and how you want to use them is the key area. If you want to use um, auras to heal, if you want to use it to actually do what I do now, which is profile people, it's about being able to show people who they are and how other people see them. And it's a huge insight. You know, the profiles I write at the moment are about 1,500 words long, and they go into detail of a person, who they are. And that's very useful if you're getting to know a parent, getting to know a a son, a daughter, a baby sometimes, and even a wife, a husband. So it gives you the advantage to see where their strengths and their weaknesses are. And we tend to be able to work in a very positive way so people can see their strengths and work on their weaknesses. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. So how is it that you're able to do that without seeing somebody in person? Um, I know you work from photographs and yeah. and so on. Yeah, you have to see that every photograph captures the time it was actually taken. So every color photograph is a time capsule. It captures all the energy. Like if I look at you now, I can see your aura and see the energy captured around you. I know that you've been running a bit to get here. And it's all that sort of stuff that you can see that allows you to take that picture and just write a report or a profile at that moment so you're looking at the person how they were when that picture was taken which is a great advantage because it means i can go back six months later and revisit that person and if they've changed they've altered if they've started to relax and calm down or if they've started to overcome certain issues i can see it so they don't have to talk to me they just have to read the profile so the color photograph and um, aura profiling on a color photograph is an amazing tool that I think I'm the only person in the world that does that. Yeah, probably. I'm not sure. Now, how about when people see uh, white around somebody or the white above a head? And Absolutely. So yeah, they're seeing the light. They're seeing the absolute light before it splits. When the light splits, it splits into seven. But the white light is the beginning part of that. And it's the first sign that you're actually starting to see the energy frequency or the energy signature. And that is a very good thing to acknowledge when you start to see that. Because if you keep looking and you keep practicing and you keep working with it, those colors will start to appear. And they're the colors that you need to be able to look at and figure out the different layers of the aura, the different emotions, the different workings of the colors that go around, the mixtures of colors. You figure that all out, and then you can actually start to figure out the authentic people. And that's okay. such a big tool for people in the, in the world because we're not going to have fear. We're just going to know. We're not going to be afraid of somebody because we're going to see. And if we can teach people to read auras and to see that white light splitting, then can you imagine the world's going to be a really nice place because we're not going to have to worry about who Mm. we trust and who we don't trust. It's just going to be joyous. 
Yeah. Okay. So I thought of so many things during that one thing, which I was laughing. I was talking to my husband. I was so I've been so excited to to meet you. I said I keep thinking of mood rings, and I'm sure other people have told you that. Do you remember mood rings that would change color when you, your emotions change and everything? Yeah. I was like, I'm like, you're going to see all my, you'll know everything about me when I see you. I mean, my colors and everything. You said, and you said, you knew I was rushed. Well, he, and he handed me the intro to read. But anyway, because and I, that was just one aside. Also, and now I lost the other. So what is the difference between, it's almost a empathy, being able to feel a room or feel how somebody is. Do you understand the question? I do. I do. Okay. We, we all walk into rooms and feel atmospheres. We all do mm-hmm. that. It's a natural part. See, I think that things like we talk about, we talk about things like trust. I don't think trust is a word. I think it's a sense. You okay. sense trust. Okay. I mean, there's, there's so much that we sense that we don't think about because language gets in the way. So you walk into a room, you sense that room, you sense whether that oh, room yeah. is actually with you, hostile, happy to be there, not happy to be there. And you sense people changing that mood. Because as other people enter that room, the dynamics change. So you start to get a changing situation with every aura, every energy that comes in. So when you sense a room, the dynamics are multiple. They keep changing depending on the people there. And it's something that we learn to do very young because we know what a room is. We know what it's like to go into an environment. And if you've done corporate or if you've done things like that, you'll understand that when you walk into a building and the room's there and you can feel the hostility, you know then that you've got to be on your game and you've got to be able to answer the questions. But if you walk into a room and it's warm and it's kind and it feels friendly, you relax and you give your best because you're not feeling under pressure to actually defend yourself all the time. So it's a huge thing. And yes, we all do that, every one of us. And it's a big, big thing that if we can start to understand that we all do this, just think about the, how we can adapt into these lovely colors that we see around people too. It's going to be really good for people. So is it that some people can see colors and some people can feel different levels? Okay. Or you said there's no feel. I like. I, Feeling's the only word I have, though. I don't yeah, know. sure. It's, it's or empathy of, levels. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we're bringing a new vocabulary, aren't we, to the table here? And yeah. sometimes there isn't words to describe how we feel. That's why right. language gets in the way of how we feel because we. Yeah. Can't oh, absolutely. If you talked in different languages like German or Dutch, a lot of it is very aggressive. If you talk in Italian, it's very loving and very sort of flowing. There's so many things that we do with vibration of sound. You know, it's amazing what yeah. we do. But the understanding of where we are, understanding auras, is that we can all do it. Everyone can read an aura. I can teach you how to read an aura. And I want everyone to be able to do it. Knowledge doesn't just belong to a few. Right. It belongs to everyone. Everyone has the opportunity to learn how to do things. The only thing that we lack is the teachers to provide the knowledge for people to understand it. As soon as we do that, it's yeah. helpful. So is it the kind of thing you could, anybody listening, you could tell somebody how to read auras now? Is it like that? Because I was taught how to clear my own chakras years ago. 
yeah. by someone who was taught in South America. And I used to do that to my kids and they'd lay down. I go, let me clear your chakras. It was, it was very cute. Yeah. Once they became teens, that was out. But uh, they were little, yeah. it was okay. Course, yeah. 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 Age different appropriate. Phases. Yeah. yeah. Of course you can. If someone was to say to me now, you know, how can I look at an aura? How can I see an aura? You know, the first thing that you said to me, and I'm sure that you've got knowledge about auras and the energy fields, you said about the white light. And, you know, it's really good because everyone sees the white light. And all we have to do is train our concentration to split that white light and know the interpretation of the colors. So those are the two things. The first thing we can do, we can see the white light. The second thing is we get the split. The third thing is we understand what the meanings are. Now, for me, I've been looking at auras since I was four, five years old. That's a lot of years now. And yeah. I've been able to gather a lot of knowledge and information about what different combinations of colors mean. But that's learned information. I can learn it. I can teach you. You can teach others. And I think that we can all do it. It can be a, a new thing for the world to be able to understand that we all have this auric field, this energy, this frequency, this vibration that is working with us. And we could all do it. So why aren't we? Why aren't we aware of it? It's something that as soon as we become aware of it, it becomes real. And there's nothing better than personal experience to make something come real. And that's really what I'm about. Yeah. So when people are afraid of this, even though it's all good and positive and those are judgment and, and it's all like positive, how do you reinforce the good? Okay. Well, first of all, it's about how you talk, how you communicate, how you come across. Um, I think if you come across in a non-threatening, friendly, easy manner and prepared to answer any question, I think it puts people at their ease. I can't stop people being fearful. The world is fearful at times. We all fear what we don't know. But what I can do is introduce some education, some understanding, some knowledge. And as soon as we start doing that, we start then understanding and the fear just vanishes like the morning fog. It just goes, it just evaporates. So everything that we do within our world, everything that we are, is about how we communicate and how we share the knowledge that is really the universal knowledge. It's the claircognience of the world. It's the clear knowledge. And that's really where we are. And if we work with those principles in mind, then, yes, fear is there, but it soon goes. And people feel a lot easier because they've got something else that they know how to actually overcome. So how do you help people or do you talk to people about like they want to manifest their best life? Manifesting the best life. Gosh, there's so many um, unknowns in that, isn't there? Because we yeah. all have our own ideas, our own perceptions of where things are. I can put it another way then. They have Thank the you. sense that something they're on this earth they're meant to do and they're not doing it. And they're okay. afraid to make the leap and they want to do that. So they want to manifest that, what they're here and meant to do. And they're afraid to take the leap. How's that? Is that a better way to put it? Okay, cool. It's a great way of putting it. And it's very distinct and very clear. The thing that matters is that we are running the life that we're running. Okay, we're in this life. And everything that's happened has happened. And everything that's going to happen has happened. So we're working and we're living in a spontaneous world where the moment is where we actually manifest. 
where we actually believe in what we think. So our thoughts are so vital. What we think is what we become. And if we're thinking the right things, then we're becoming the right things. Now, the best life that some people may have may be a limited life because they just want to be rich. Well, that may be their idea of the best life. But if that's what they want, then they have to go through that and find out why that is a good idea and not such a good idea. But it's a positive experience. So what we have to be able to understand is if we have our thoughts aligned, we become authentic. And if we become authentic, then everything else just flows. So the best life is when things just flow. The energy flows, the people that are around you flow, the energy is very good energy, very neat energy, very simple, very uncomplicated. And that's really that I share with people is that nothing has to be complicated. It's only people that complicate. All we need to do is bring it into a level where it's very, very easy, very straightforward. And as soon as we do that, the universe lines up with us because the universe isn't complicated. It can be violent, but it's not complicated. And it becomes simple because we're manifesting what we're believing. And that's about the manifestation of our thoughts. And the chances are is that we've lived this life many, many times. I think we repeat the same lifetimes. And so that lifetime, we've got all that knowledge in our soul. That's all in the center of us. We've all got that knowledge. We've just got to access it. And people sometimes may be a little bit afraid to access knowledge. If they are, that's fine. But let's show them why they're here, why they may be repeating a lifetime, why they may be in that cycle of going through things that they can't master. Let's show them that there is a door there that they can walk through, a window that they could climb through, a different perspective that they can walk alongside. There's so many things that we can share with people that gives them a different way of thinking. Because if their way of thinking is just one-dimensional, that's where their life is going to be. There's so much more to it. I was thinking of your apple tree. <laughs> An apple oh, tree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to explain my apple tree? Sure. Why not? I, I loved your apple tree. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's something that I, when I started visualization meditation, I visualized climbing up an old oak tree, going through the door in the base of the tree, climbing up the stone steps and smelling the moss and the damp and the water and walking up, hearing the drips and getting to the top, opening the door with a squeak, and climbing out into a meadow. And the meadow was full of wildflowers and birds and bees and all the things that are just lovely. And I decided when I was very young to plant an apple tree, a sapling, just a young sapling there. And I planted that probably over 40 years ago. And it's now grown into a a massive tree that I sit under and talk to animal guides and just think things through and visualize and just just be in a little bit of peace it's my little peace spot that no one can touch because it's mine and it's my visualization and that visualization now that meditation is shared throughout the world and so many people are doing that because they love the thought of having that little piece of peace in their minds and they love the thought of being able to grow alongside the sapling because trees and humans are very similar. We all grow and we become, you know, so much different. And when I planted that sapling, it was only about three foot. And now it's about 18 foot high. And it's, uh, it's amazing to watch a tree mature 
and make the comparisons of how you've matured in your life. So if anyone wants to do that, if they have children now, plant a tree and let your children watch that tree grow as they grow and compare the two, watch the two, because we're not dissimilar and trees are very sentient, as are we. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hurt when trees get knocked down. I mean, it's like, yeah. I know. It's a real sadness, isn't it? Because trees have amazing auras. Yeah. They really do. They're just amazing. I was When I was young, we used to go and take the hazelnuts off a tree. Oh. And I used to be able to see the hazelnuts because they used to glow copper in, oh. on the tree branches. Oh, yeah. I used to go and pick them up and break them open. And those sort of things. And you see trees in the summer and the life has just telling my wife today as I was coming home, we are just driving home along a tree-lined road, saying, how wonderful to see these trees to spring back into life yeah. and start to become alive again. Because in the winter, they go very close. The auras come in very, very close and go very white and very grey. And then in the summer and through the spring and the summer, they get very wide and the auras start to spread. Yeah. And it's just like a light display. It's, it's amazing. It's my favourite time of year. It is. The spring coming into yep. summer. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I love that too. So what's the hardest challenge that you've overcome and how did you do it? Oh, gosh, um, the hardest challenge I ever overcome, well, several really, but I'm going to place an example. I was a prison governor for six years and Ooh. my job was profiling people that were coming into prison. So I used to interview them as a matter of course, but I used to look at their auras, not their words. So my hardest challenge was being able to write fair and free assessments on people that were facing life crisis. Because when you go into a prison, your lowest ebb is the lowest point of your life. And you're under crisis. You're under a huge amount of stress and strain. But for me, writing those reports, writing those profiles for those men was a little bit easier than what it could have been. Because... I was able to not look at their words. Their words were very, you know, because everyone's got a reason why. And I used to laugh and say, well, the only reason you're here is because you didn't run fast enough. And <laughs> it used to sort of break the ice. But the, the understanding of it is, is that challenges in life are always there. Every day there's a challenge. It all depends on the degree of the challenge. And people that are incarcerated are facing challenges every single moment of that existence. So my compassionate side and my emotional side had to be put on hold for a bit while I was working in that environment. So I worked there six years, Lauren, which was six years, which is just about the right amount of time to learn all the lessons in humility and understanding and being able to work with anger and people that were very violent that they could probably give me. The biggest lesson while I was there was serving. They used to call it the line. Every lunchtime and every evening, they used to serve the men on metal trays. And these metal trays were like um, really lethal objects. They were, they were heavy, and they used to have all sorts of hot things on them. So it was a very combustible situation, and you could be serving the food to a line of people that didn't really want to be there. And that takes courage. And I learned the courage through that. And I always think that if I can do that, I can stand on any stage, talk to any host, go and do any TV chat show, talk to anybody about their life because it's prepared me. And in a way, I think that's what the universe does. 
It puts you through the lessons or the understandings you need to get before you get the challenges of what you're really about. Such an interesting answer. I was not expecting that, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> not, not at all what I was expecting. So you talk about time in a very different way than I've heard anyone really talk about in years. I have. It's been a long time. And one part of it, I didn't even understand. So okay. do you want to talk about how you view time? Of course, it's quite multi. Yeah. It's quite, and if there's anything, yeah. you know, please ask because I'm happy to explain because yeah. the, the philosophies I have are things that I've come through working out and understandings because it's personal experience that have led to me believing this. Yeah, so, it, it's so interesting to me. And, and part of it I didn't understand. So I thought, well, I'll just wait till I meet you and then I'll ask my questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of doing it. We live in a, a linear world where time starts at one point and just carries on. If that's a, a good exception of where we are. You know, you, like we're born in 1962, like I was, and you live your life till you pass into spirit whenever that is. And that's a linear line. I don't see life as that. I see life as a circle. And I think time is a circle that you can navigate anywhere you want to navigate it. So any place you want to go in on time, you can do that. And I think our understanding of multi-lives is that all our lifetimes run concurrently. Every lifetime is happening at the same time. It, time does not exist. Time is just a man-made concept that we order our life to. Thank goodness we do, because we can actually book appointments to speak on podcasts and <laughs> lots of other things. But if we can see life as being concurrent, all your lifetimes running together, then you can access all that knowledge. Every piece of knowledge that you've ever learned in the past, in the now, and in the future is there for you to access. Now, now I got it. Okay. Yeah. It's such an important thing. Being you know, very interested in this, of course, I've done a lot of exploration into past lives. But what fascinated me wasn't the past lives. It's the future lives and it's progressing people forward and looking at their lifetime and looking at things only maybe three months ahead. So like if you had a really important decision to make, we would take you forward three months and see the outcome of that decision. And so you could actually look at where that decision led. And we've done that a fair few times with um, quite a few people and there was one occasion I did it with a lady who's a journalist. She came to interview me about this. And I said, are you sure you want me to take you forward? And she said, yes. I said, okay, we'll just see where it goes. And we took her forward about a year. And um, she found herself in a white hotel in a room that was looking out onto palm trees and onto a forecourt. And she had no idea what it was. So she wrote it all down. She's got my transcript and she didn't ever publish the article, funnily enough, but she had it all, all down. And because in regressional progression, it's very hard to hear people speak. So you need to write the transcript rather than record it because their mouth can be very um, low. Their, their voice can get very low. So we wrote this down. And 12 months later, she rang me and she said, Dominic, you're not going to believe this but I'm in the location that I described to you 12 months ago. I'm in South Africa. I'm at Oscar Pistorius's trial, and I'm having to write 
and interview the mother of Oscar Pistorius's girlfriend. She said, I never saw that coming. I never thought it would happen. I had no idea. And this is exactly where I am. And I recognized it in an instant as soon as I arrived at the hotel. That tells me that time doesn't exist because we've already experienced what our future is if we want to access it. And if we want to access it, we can change it, which means no more mistakes, which is incredible. And I don't understand why the world isn't doing it. Okay. So do you do that for yourself? Yep, absolutely. But I do it in lots of ways because I think it's such an important aspect to be able to understand how we make choices because we have choices. It's like our life is a big flow chart and we can go anywhere we want. We have a choice to sit here today or to go and do something else. And I think it's vital to be able to look maybe a week ahead, maybe two weeks ahead, but you don't want to go too far because if you go too far, you start to complicate your thinking and you outthink yourself. So I'm really happy to go a week ahead and talk in that way and find that level at that time of doing that. But I would always say to people, don't go too far because we never know what we're going to find. And what we find sometimes is things that bring us more decision-making than what is good for us. So how would somebody listening be able to do this for themselves? Well, they find themselves a really good Regressive therapist, somebody that could do that. I don't know what it's like in in America, Los Angeles. Um, There's not many people that do future life progression here in England. I think I've come across maybe one or two others, but I'm sure that Los Angeles is full of people that would be wanting to do something like that. It's about the knowledge. It's whether they actually see things the same way and whether they see time as a circle. Because as soon as they acknowledge time as a circle, then future life progression is very possible and it's extremely powerful. So if they want to find someone, go and talk to your local progressive, regressive therapist. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but also if you do, and this is a tip that I tell everyone to do, is always ask if you could speak to people that they've actually progressed or regressed before. That is a good tip. For any of this. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, because you want to find people that are the real deal. You don't just want to find people that say they can do something. You want to be able to understand they can do it. Right. And this goes to where you talk about the imprint, because I know people who have lost children and they just crave so much wanting to. This makes me feel really happy and really infuriated all in the same moment. Yeah, but I'm so glad that you said that because it allowed me to ask this question. So go ahead. Thank you. It's it's such an important thing because people's emotions are precious. They're like crown jewels. You need to really guard them and really look after them. And if you're going to say something to somebody, you've got to be able to back that up. Okay. That's so important. So anybody listening that is a medium, I'm not saying you're not doing what you're doing. I'm just saying you have to be able to share the evidence and make it very clear to people what you're actually connecting with. Because my idea of what a medium does is they connect to an imprint. Everything is energy. Everything is actually residual energy or alive energy or energy that is actually resting. Everything's energy. Everything is there. So if you come into somebody's energy that has actually passed over, you can pick up their thoughts. You can pick up the actual area of that person when they were alive. You're not talking to that person. 
you're picking up a recording of who that person was. And I think mediums do that really clearly. I think it's a, a phenomenon that they do, and they can do it extremely well. But when people die or people pass, I'm going to tell you a story because I want to explain this to you, how a little boy explained it to me only about three weeks ago because I was talking to his mum and because she was so shocked at what he said. This little boy, and actually he'd been very, very forward, a very intelligent little boy, and he could talk really clearly by the time he was three. And he was recalling to his mum how he died in his past life. He actually said to his mother, I was your father. I banged my head. I went through a vortex and I found myself back in this body. This is a three-year-old child. He said, that was the process. He says, I'm, I'm here. I'm now your son. My jaw, you, you know, you hear things every now and again that just make you think, oh, my word. That is just from the mouth of a youngster who has no integral part in the world that we live in, no understanding, no experience. But he's recording how he died, who he was, and who he is now, and the whole process. And we asked him, we said to him, she spent any time in the spirit world? No, I just went through this vortex and I found myself back in this body. So for me, that validates how I think. So I, I don't think we replicate this world in spirit. I think that's just a story that people use to justify what they say to people. I don't find any sense in that whatsoever. It just does not follow. And as soon as you take out the spirit world out of any calculation and put in reincarnation and future life in a new body, it starts to fit. It starts to manufacture where it actually is. And that's the process. You pass, you go through a vortex, and you're in a body, and you're born, reborn, and you start that life again. Now, whether you start the life that you've just passed from or whether you start a new life in a new body is entirely up for conjecture. I've interviewed people that have actually had recall of situations that are happening, and they've set themselves up to be able to remember what happened when they passed because they get to the point where they realize that they keep going through the same loop. And so they leave little clues. By the end of it, by the time they've gone through five or six times, the clues are shouting much louder of what's actually happened, and they become much more aware. So they avoid the accident or they avoid the death. And it's incredible, Lauren. What you actually find when you talk to people that sit and quietly go through these experiences because they don't want to talk about it, because they don't really want to explain it to anyone, because people just ridicule it. As soon as you sit and talk to them and understand what they've been through, it opens up so many fascinating contexts and so many open doors that you can look at and go, ah, that's the puzzle that didn't fit with the spirit world. Why would people want to be in spirit doing what they do on earth when they could actually come back and do it on earth? Why would the universe bring this dimension into play when it doesn't need to be there? Now, what about when, like, my mom passed years ago, before I ever had kids or anything, and I remember walking into a closet and I could smell her. Sure. And at first, I was, I mean, I was young. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I smell dead people. <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> and right, then okay. that was my first okay. thought. I was like, oh, I must be dying. Yeah. Anyway, but since then, well, whenever, I, I, whenever I'm walking around and then I suddenly smell her, I go, 
oh, it's a heartwarming thing. Like, oh, I smell my mom out of nowhere, you know. And Fantastic. It's a familiar smell, isn't it? It's a perfume. It's a talc. It's a toilet water. Whatever, I have no idea. It. All of a sudden, I'll just be walking around it. Yeah. It's a familiar childhood scent that is there with you. I think you're walking into an imprint. I think you're walking into the thoughts that your mum has had previously. Maybe some of those thoughts are attached to you, which I would be very surprised if they weren't, because you are a part of that particular situation of growing up and understanding your mum as a person and being very familiar with her. There's also the bit that says, well, it could be a coincidence. It could just happen to be a smell like that in the area that you're smelling that's reminding you of that, because scent takes us into a place every time. If we have a scent, that scent will be with us and that will remind us. Um, cut grass, apple pies, stew and dumplings. You know, there's, there's so many smells that we're so used to that transform our thoughts straight into that location. And I think it's something that we do naturally as humans. We associate thought to scent. And that scent... I'm not saying to you it's something that is or isn't there because you're spelling it, you're realizing it. But what I would say to you is that it's a memory that you're being accessed into. And it's a fond memory. It's a lovely memory. You're not next to your mom, but you're next to your mom's imprint. Okay. And then the other is when you peripherally see something or feel like something and there's nothing there. Oh, Lauren, this is this is a whole new area, okay? Because what if there is a whole species of animals that can cloak that we can't see through our eyes? I see frequency and vibration. I see a lot of different things than what other people see, so I'm told. So, so for instance, if something has a different shape or a different form, the frequency is different. It vibrates, it has a different aura. Now, what if um, you're seeing something or you're sensing something like we talked about that is not able to be viewed by you, that you don't have a vision for? That would explain that we see things that we think we see because we're sensing them. Our senses are so aware. They're so there, aren't they? They're, they're really tuned in. They're, they're there to defend us and to help us. And if we sense something, what's to say there isn't something there? Because there's so much that we don't see. And I've just been doing a huge thing on Bigfoot. I don't know if you do Bigfoot in America, but a huge thing that this is a creature that can actually um, cloak. And that the reason it's not spotted and not seen so much is because it's learned how to become invisible. And there's nothing stopping that we can do invisibility in a lab. I want that superpower. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a super. Maybe it's nature, how they've evolved. Maybe it's an evolution. You know, if you heard the story of the green man in the woods, you know, the green man is a big legend in, in Pagan. And this green man actually lives in the woods and nobody sees him. They just feel him. So that could have been going on since the 14th, 15th century that we can be aware of. So we're just coming into our consciousness that there could well be creatures, entities, whatever you want to call it, different dimensions that are cloaked and that we can sense them, we can feel them, we can see the movement, but we don't actually know that they're there because our eyesight only covers a certain amount of frequency. Okay, I want to go back to the spirit world. I'm not saying there's no spirit world. What you're I'm saying, saying is... You're saying some reincarnate immediately. I think that there's no time. 
we must get ourselves clear on before we talk about this. There is no time. Time is a man-made thing. When we pass, right, no time. So there's no immediate. It's just natural. It's just what happens. Because we look at everything in, in minutes, seconds, hours, months, days, years. We think, oh, gosh, my parent, my dad passed in 81. My dad did. And I'm thinking, gosh, 40, whatever it is, years ago, he passed. And I think of it in human terms. In my world, in spiritual terms, for me, there is no time. So when you pass, you reincarnate. Now, where you reincarnate, you can reincarnate back into your own body and live that life again. Or you could reincarnate into another body and live that life. You could reincarnate on another planet. But what I'm saying is there's no room for an in-between world. Because why would there be an in-between world where we're just there existing how we do here? It doesn't make any sense. So the point being is that as we evolve and our energy evolves, we're looking to become pure plasma. That's what our soul is. Our soul is pure plasma. Energy only changes form. It doesn't die. And I believe the soul is something that is formed like an orb, like a round ball of plasma, really white plasma that is like a recording device that everything is stored into. So why would we want existences where we're mimicking what we're doing right now? It doesn't make sense. I didn't mean mimicking what we're doing now. I mean, do you think the spirit world is a world that is like this world? No. No. How do you perceive the spirit world? I don't want to go into me being no, questioned. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get across to your listeners is that there's other ways of viewing this. And it's not because we're looking for comfort, because a lot of people don't really like people passing. They don't like people leaving them. They, they want to think of them around them and close to them. I'm not going to ever take that away from somebody because that's comfort. But it's more about the individuals that are left here than the people that go into oh, a different, yeah. different form, yeah, different, yeah. different energy, if you like. And so I don't get the spirit world is an actual place. I get that it's a realm that people talk about because it makes them feel very comforted. Yeah, definitely. Do you have tools that you use when you need to be uplifted? Do you have tools that you do every day? Do you meditate? I know you do your visualization, yeah. but do you journal? Do you do gratitude lists? Do you have things that you do <laughs> to stay grounded? Every day. I have a wonderful wife called Allison who yeah. keeps me very grounded. Yes, and, yes, that's and, what we do. Very, very <laughs> that's busy. our job. Yeah, it's, which is an amazing gift to have someone like that. I also have a fantastic life. I tend to use the gym. I push weights and do weights a lot. That's a fantastic way of being able to focus on something that is pure physical, and it gives me a very calm way. And, again, I put my weight bench outside. So when I do my weights – That's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, so I, good. I, I can look up because one yeah. of my philosophies is looking up. Yeah, I think I heard we you all should – yeah. yeah. We all look up. And if we look up, we see so much more. I, I watch the birds and I watch the air and I watch the clouds and I push my weights. It's a win-win for me to do that. I also spend a lot of time writing. And I think when I'm writing, it's really, really self. It allows me to go inside and be in a world that is mine. So when I'm right, I write from a stream of consciousness and that stream of consciousness becomes a script. 
And that allows me to be able to, if you like, be in a meditative state because I don't always think that I write. I think that I channel what I write. And it comes from the thought that's in the ether that you can pick up across the universe because when you have a thought, it travels. We each have 6,000 thoughts a day. Now, if you think of that and you think of 6,000 thoughts a day and you think of 7 billion people on the earth, that's about 42 trillion thoughts going out into the ether every day just from this planet. And that is a huge amount of thinking that comes from one planet. Now, if you take the, the whole universe and think of all the galaxies and all the planets, can you imagine the amount of thought? that's actually in the ether, in the consciousness that we can pick up if we actually stay calm and just allow ourselves to feel that energy. I think there's an amazing amount of knowledge out there ready for us to to receive if we're allowing it to come through. Yeah, it's the allowing and the slowing down and to process. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? Hope. I think that everyone should live with uh, gratitude for everything that they have in their life, whatever it is, because everything that we go through is there designed to help us understand something, whether it's a good situation or whether it's a difficult situation. It's there for us to actually grow and develop and and realize the, the gratitude of life should be your hope. Watching the birds sing in the morning should be your hope. Looking at your children grow and become amazing adults should be your hope. There's so much there that shows you that life is about hope. And so if you want to feel hope, just look around you, notice people, notice your environment, notice the breath that you're taking, notice your heart beating. That's hope. Because if you can actually breathe, if you can hear your heartbeat, if you can sense somebody's love for you, then you don't need hope because you're just a well-educated, rounded human being that's going to spread that love across the universe. So no hope, just love. I love that. Okay, so what's the most common question you're asked when you tell people what you do? Oh, gosh, um, can you read my aura, please? Yeah, what, what <laughs> color am I? Yeah, right? Yeah, that, that's asked a lot. I also get many, many questions about things like, How do you feel about aliens? How do you feel about extraterrestrials? Do they have auras? Do animals have auras? Do babies have auras? Animals must, don't they? Yeah, sure. They all have, um, depending on the animal. But if you look at a robin or a small bird, they're they're very pure, very, very white, very, very, a little bit pink, but very nice and very, very expansive. And if you look at, say, you look at an elk, an elk is full of, energy full of real real energy and okay got- out of all the animals i if you told me list 10 elk would not would have been one of them <laughs> no but in my mind an elk just i know i know i just like to see it running through a forest yeah and and it's just that that whole sort of feel of i would have thought a deer a yeah, deer. yeah yeah just amazing amazing energy comes from from animals and their whole nature is created through their energy signatures and you can see them and they have different personalities like we do they all have their differences i do a lot of work with horses I, I love working with horses because they're so so naturally gifted that they're, they're, they're all different characters they're all different personalities they have their own different ways and they like and dislike like we do 
And it's amazing to watch the characters grow as you actually tune into who they are and their personality and what they like and dislike. So, you know, that's an incredible thing to be able to do for me. Uh, we'll have you come. My friend just got a ranch. We'll have you come out here and do a weekend uh, with Ashley. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. She'll love having you. Yeah. All <laughs> my listeners are going to be like, I want to come. <laughs> you, and you can. And you can. We'll, we'll set that up for next year. She just, yeah. We'll set it up. There's, there's horses. And, yeah. In Malibu. It's a lovely thing. I started doing it with um, horses at Newmarket, the world-famous racing stables, and a couple of the trainers who are really into their horses' welfare asked me to go in and have a look at their welfare and how oh. they were and how they were performing and things like that. And it's little things. Um, I found that one horse loved music. All it needed was a radio in its stable. And it felt so much more comfortable. It felt like it was there, and oh. and it relaxed, and it and it started to really enjoy doing what it was doing. It, um, it's just how you look and your whole energy when you're talking about this more than your words. By the way, thank you. You you softened completely talking about this. Yeah, no. I the thing about everything that I do, I love it. I yeah, absolutely. I, I feel I'm so so in a position that. It's just an amazing position to be in. And I love being able to use what I see for good. And I love being able to connect with people, animals, children, you know, everything. Yeah. I love the connections. And, you know, I love being able to help people. Like when I first started doing oral profiling, it started in the pub, you know, with my friends oh my saying God. to me, have a look at this girl I'm going to date. Tell me what you see. Is she any good? <laughs> Is she going to be? Do, okay, so do you see actual colors when you look? Oh yeah, because what happened was back in two thousand, we started getting phones with, with photographs on all the as selfies. As, yeah, yeah. As soon as the, yeah, and I love Instagram. I love all that stuff because it's like a library of information for me to look at. So if you're posting selfies up, you know. Remember, I'm looking at them. It's, it's really good. But, but my friends, right, they used to say, look, I've got this girlfriend. She's, um, you know, tell me a little bit about her. Am I going to be happy with her? Is it going to be a good relationship? Is she going to be loyal? This sort of stuff, you know, the things that we all want know. And I used to go through and say, well, no, this one isn't going to be like that. They're going to be like this. And that's how profiling started. It literally started by people asking me the personalities of the girls that they were dating. And it was just amazing because you get halfway through, you know, six months later, they say, Dominic, you told me this girl was going to do this and I didn't trust you, but I do now. It was like that. And that was sort of the evolving of writing profiles and writing reports for people. And even now I say to people, if you're going to go on a dating site, send me the pictures of these people that you're actually going to date because you're going to go through on average 18 dates before you meet somebody that you're compatible with. If you send me those 18 pictures. Dominic's going to fast forward this process for you. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to cut it all out for you. You're not going to have to go on those 18 dates because I'm going to put them in order that you should date them. And you shouldn't really need to go past the first one. <laughs> that is great. Okay. So, I don't want to do anything self-serving, but I have to ask, what color do I put out? I have no idea. Okay. Today, when I first saw you, your aura was quite tight. It was very much in. Remember, there's three layers to the aura. There's the outer aura, which is the, the hard shell. There's the middle aura, which is the communication. 
and intelligence, if you like, and emotions. And then there's the inner aura, which is your digestion, your 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 inner, you know, what you eat, all that sort of stuff. So what we saw on when you first came on was your aura is really tight. You're really protective. You're thinking, I'm looking forward to this, but I don't know what he's going to say to me because he's a bit of a, you know, a bit avant-garde. He might he might be a bit of a loose cannon. So you were a little bit concerned about who I was. And that showed in your aura when we first started talking. As we've talked, your aura has become much more lightened. It's expanded and the yellows are there. So you've got an amazing imagination. Your imagination is really tripping. It goes through lots of different stages of thought and feelings. And what you do is you have this domino effect. So everything starts with your thought and then it expands. It goes way out and you end up probably having eight or nine different thoughts about one thing. And you probably go around and around in circles all the time. And I see that. I also see a little bit of red around your shoulder. And that's your, your personality. You're quite a fiery personality. You've got a burst in you that could be very, very straight and very strong-minded. So people around you would know that, that you're not someone to take um, fools gladly or to listen to people if they're not talking sense. You'll put them in their place. So that's there as well. So that's what I see with you right this moment. Okay, thanks. Uh, I was just wondering which colors. So, Yeah, um, um, the, the outer is is sort of pale and darker orange. So you've got a two double aura on the outside. So your pale orange and your darker orange are two different personalities. So that's there. So you've got distinctly two characters. Then as you come in, there's a, a real curious, educated part of you that wants to see why things are working. You're a person that wants to know why. You're not a person who just accepts when someone says something. You, you want to ask. You want to find out. So that's that. And the imagination is one of somebody who can write and talk and write because the communication skills are part of you. And they'll be part of what you do as a job, part of what you are as a person. You'll be a very strong communicator. You'll put across points. You'll take out the bits that you want to use and you'll disregard the bits you don't want to use. That's the blue in the middle there with the yellow around it. And the inside of you, you jump from energies. So what you have sometimes, you have a lot of energy and then you'll just stop. You'll just stop. Because that energy is right there. Because you'll be, whoa, and then you'll be, oh. And that's how you go. You don't go constantly. You're not on one level all the time. You're on two different levels. You're either on go level or you're like, oh, God, I've got to stop. Got the rest. And that's how you are. That's what you are as a person. And that's the, the green in the center. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? Yeah, it's, yeah uh, it is. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that, because I've been doing it all my life and I know where people are within what they actually say to me and where they look, it's very easy for me to interpret the personalities. Okay. For a detail report, I need a full length picture so I can have a look at everything about you and I can work out all the different emotions, the different things that are going on, the frustrations, the, the joys, the, the things that you're very good at doing, the things that you're not so good at doing, and also your tolerance levels. Because the sometimes with an aura like you've got, the tolerance levels can be there. They can be there in abundance. And other times there's no tolerance. It's like it just drains from you. So I can see that with you. 
And and that is something that you've probably built as a personality over 20, probably 30 years. Yeah, that's that's so true. Oh, it's so interesting. I love this. And for everybody listening, of course, I will have all of Dominique's links and everything on the website with the show notes and everything else. And uh, we'll go live. The live stream will be living everywhere also. So thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. Oh, thank you for for having me and thank you for listening. And um, I've enjoyed it, Lauren. It's been lovely being able to talk in a very nice way. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Dominique's messages of trust, intuition, and creative curiosity. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week for personal branding and business development specialist, Karen Gamba. Did you know that when you're in your greatest pain, when you're on your knees kind of pain, that's your gold? Are you ready to break free from others' expectations? Listen next week as Karen, who left corporate America to do what she's called here to do, helps you tap into your joy and inner calling. Karen's amazing. She gives you wisdom to better understand yourself and distinguish your own unique gifts. That's next week. You'll love that episode. Be sure to get in on the email list so you don't miss anything. And we also have a couple of member-only specials that you get when you're on the email list. And so you definitely want to be in the know. That's at 52weeksofhope.com, the number 52. Just go to the website at 52weeksofhope.com to get on that. There's also a quiz on there, When Do You Self-Sabotage, that's on the website. It's pretty fun. And if you're not already part of the Facebook group, that's a safe space to share with each other. And you can get me messages either on the website or over there. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share the love and tell two of your friends. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.